Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to Dwell. Before we get you to this week's episode, we just want to let you know about a new program at the Searcy Institute. It's called The Hearth and it's a year-long feast for the Christian classical homeschooler. Join Renee Mathis, one of the co-hosts here on Dwell, as she encourages and equips parents in their Christian classical homeschooling journey. As an experienced homeschool mom herself, she understands that this might be the most difficult, most daunting, and most exciting task you have ever undertaken. But you're not alone. Welcome to the hearth. Join Renee and other homeschooling parents to learn more, to learn together about what it takes to pursue the goal of a Christ-centered homeschool. Participants will meet twice per month over Zoom, with the first meeting focused on a specific topic, and the second is set aside for Q&A. Between meetings, you will have access to an online community to continue the conversation and share resources. You can register for the hearth at searcyinstitute.com. The first gathering is September 14th, and there is early bird pricing through August 20th. So please join us around the hearth. There's a seat for you at the table. Again, the link is searcyinstitute.com. And now, this week's episode of Dwell. And welcome to Dwell, a Cersei Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, friends. Hi, Emily. All right, so we are in the thick of it. I would assume that for most of us, the first day of back to school has come and gone. We made our plans, we scheduled our days, we bought our books and enrolled in classes and sharpened our bouquets of pencils, and we're, we're off to the races. The first six weeks of school always seems to be full of figuring out new rhythms year after year with the growing hearts, minds, and bodies of our children and ourselves. And if you're anything like me, much of the preparation that goes into the new school year is what should I teach and what to teach in the lists of the books and materials. As my children have gotten older, though, I've come to realize that the question how to teach is just as important, 
maybe even more so. And for those of us following the path of classical education, we do have the gift of the great tradition for our what to teach. In fact, this year, my children are reading myths and fairy tales, ancient and medieval history. They're studying life science and biology and chemistry. But how should we go about teaching these books and ideas? So today, we're just going to take a closer look at this question particularly. How can we teach all that is good and true and beautiful through the content we've prepared for this year? In Paul's letters, he tells those whom he is teaching to be like him and imitate him. The Greek word for this is mimesis or mimetic teaching. I would guess some of you are familiar with teaching mimetically as a way of taking a truth and offering it as a lesson with form and meaning. But in this conversation, we want to offer just a few practical thoughts and ideas of how to teach mimetically or through imitation. In fact, Renee is a head mentor for the Circe Apprenticeship Program, and one of the courses taught at the apprenticeship is mimetic teaching. Quick word here for those of you who are interested in learning how to teach classically, check out the Circe Apprenticeship. It's a one to three year long program that just guides and trains teachers through mentors in the classical teaching model. But Renee, will you start us off today and maybe give us some background on what mimetic teaching is? Sure, I would love to. Um, I love talking about how to teach because I remember as a new homeschooler myself, I quickly figured out that if I could kind of understand the behind the scenes of what's going on in a lesson and what's going on when we teach, then I didn't have to be as dependent on a particular curriculum or a particular teacher's manual or someone else's book. So that's the beauty of learning how to teach is, is that you are free um, in so many ways to take what you want to teach and present it to your children in a way that they learn. And that's the beauty of mimetic teaching is that it goes along with the nature of the child. It honors the nature of the student by teaching them the way God made them to learn. Um, and that's one of the, the fun things I think we've all figured out with homeschooling is that we don't, we don't have to worry about how am I going to make my child love learning? God created them to love learning. Man loves to learn. We like to know. We're, that's programmed into us. So the question is not how can I make my child love learning, but how can I teach them in such a way that recognizes and honors the way that this child was created? And so one way to do that is to teach mimetically. Um, so what we mean, as you've already said, mimetic teaching has to do with imitation. And when you think about it, with little children, little toddlers, um, we, they learn that way and we teach them that way. You know, you're driving down the road or you're walking through your neighborhood and they see a dog and you point to it and you say dog, dog, dog. And hopefully they repeat some, so something that kind of sounds like the word dog. And um, then maybe the next day you're reading a book and you come across a picture of a dog and you point to it and you say dog, dog, dog again. And they start building this little data bank in their brains of, hmm, that's not the same dog I saw yesterday, but this is also called dog, okay? And then maybe you're watching something on TV and you see another dog and you say dog, you know? So children are kind of absorbing and building up these ideas that all these things are calling dog are called dogs. And they may not be able to articulate what they're doing, but what they're doing is they're comparing those things. So eventually they're walking down the street and they see a car drive by with the animal sticking its head out the window and they say dog. 
right? They, they have internalized this idea themselves. It's now their own. And now they are pretty confident they can in turn point out that animal and say, that's a dog. Um, another example of mimetic teaching, say you want to teach your child to set the table, right? So that's a skill. We all want our kids to be able to do that. So um, we don't give them a book on table manners or we don't necessarily, um, you know, go have them look up the history of table setting. What do we do? We get out a plate and a fork and napkin and we show them. This is, this is where the plate goes. This is where the fork goes. This is where the napkin goes. Now you try it, right? And then we stand there with them while they do it. And we coach them a little bit and we encourage them. And then maybe we set another place and we say, okay, now do it just like mommy did. And they imitate us. And then we encourage them again until they get to the point where, can you tell me how you would set the table? Can you show me where the knife and the fork and the napkin goes? And they can. And we say, wonderful, you've got it. From now on, you know, you've just earned yourself a new responsibility. You can now set the table. Um, so mimetic teaching works for things like facts, where we want them to maybe look at two-digit multiplication. But it also works for skills that we need to kind of coach them through, where we're right there with them. We're giving them examples and models and types and that's what they learn from. So I'm going to stop there because I don't want to say too much and overwhelm anybody. But Emily, is that is that answering your question? For sure. That's super helpful knowing that, especially knowing that it's something that we do naturally. I think so many times, especially for us homeschool moms and we're jumping into classical education, it can seem really daunting. And, you know, maybe we have this image of this, you know, classical professor in some college or something who is the expert teacher. And here I am just home as a homeschool mom. Um, but having the confidence to realize we already teach this way. We've we've naturally taught our, our children this way from the time they were little. Um, but now as as we're maybe more moving into a more, well, maybe I'll say formal setting, and we can talk a little bit about that later, the difference between maybe formal mimetic teaching and informal. Um, but how do you... What is the purpose of mimetic teaching in a more let's say classroom setting. And I don't mean like school classroom setting, but sure, you sitting at the table with your kids doing school. Um, like how, how is it used in that setting? I'll jump in here. I think um, it's, used, it's used from the standpoint of the teacher to know where the student is so that at the beginning of a lesson, before you even, before you even begin the lesson, your conversation very naturally needs to go to, what does the student already know about this? Is this entirely brand new? Did we learn something yesterday that's going to the lesson today? You know, and there's so there's endless possibilities of that. And then it leads, it, it requires the teacher to purposefully go from, what does my child know through, what am I going to teach my child to, um, how does this compare to what my child already knows or, or wonders about to can my child express this in his own words? And then what can we, what can we um, demonstrate or produce or express depending on the kind of lesson it is all by himself? And so it causes, from the perspective of a teacher, it causes you to rather than just say, okay, here's lesson six in math. Today we're going to do this. 
you, you, you know, this is how you do it. Now do it. It causes the teacher to be more purposeful and it and allows the student to progress at a very natural and comfortable stage so that if both of you realize, oh, I really didn't get that or I don't understand it, or what do you need? Then you just back up and you go, okay, well, maybe you, maybe your previous knowledge wasn't complete enough to even begin this. So let's go back to there. So in other words, it's a very comfortable, natural way of progressing through a lesson, I think. I would also add, Karen, it's a very um, comfortable and restful for the teacher. As long as you realize you just need to know what is the one truth that this lesson is about. We call that the logos of the lesson. What is the one big idea that I'm trying to teach here or that my student needs to learn at the end of this lesson? Just one. I can, as you've said, we can review and we can prepare them to receive that information. We can present types of that logos of that thing. And then we talk about it. And so then after we've talked about it, paid attention to it, compared it, we ask the student to then, as you said, either express it or recreate it or model it, um, depending on what kind of thing it is. But the thing is, as a teacher, we need to realize that focus on that one thing is wonderful and it's amazing and it's restful um, because then it's going to teach you as a teacher if you're looking at a curriculum and the page is so busy that you can't figure out what one thing they're trying to teach or if the teacher's lesson plan is so cluttered by trying to teach four or five different things that you know your student's going to be confused um, that allows you to go whoa whoa you know, i'm going to back up here and and just focus on what is the one thing needful for today what is the one thing we're going to work on learning? I remember one time I was teaching a lesson on the fact that transitive verbs take direct objects. And I remember getting to the point in the lesson where I had to stop and say, wait a minute, let's just talk, talk about transitive verbs and compare those to action verbs and forget all about direct objects. It was like I was, because in my curriculum, that we were using, it said, you know, basically this lesson is about direct objects and transitive verbs. And I had to just cut the lesson in half and go, no, we're not even going to talk about direct objects right now until we understand, you know, that you can say, I jumped, period, sentence, or I gave, you know, and that, that that's not a complete sentence. It's not a complete thought. So you're right. Like you can, it's, you can, Easily, when you're teaching something, try to bite off too much. And this allows you to do two short lessons instead of one longer lesson. That's confusing. I would say that was the most helpful part of it. Well, I mean, a couple of things in there. But one of the most helpful parts of learning to teach mimetically for me is to say, I don't have to teach it all. I can choose the one thing that they should glean from this lesson. And what I realized is if I could teach some of those foundations, if they, if they did know what a verb was, a transitive, intransitive verb, um, three weeks from now or two months from now or three years from now, as I'm building on this, they will have that strong foundation. But this is, as you said, this is just like a really comfortable, uh, natural and restful way to just take the, what is the big idea? And that's, that's what, you know, I'll call it for my kids. I won't always call it like the tell us. We'll say like, what's the big idea here? Um, and so then they know that it's like, okay, we're going to get a big idea out of this lesson. And then following up with at the end of the lesson, 
okay, did you get the, did you get the big idea? Um, and I would love, Renee, maybe you can speak into this of even practically, like, how do you do this? How do you start with a big idea, offer the big idea, and then follow up to maybe to assess whether or not the big idea stuck in some way? So how do you, how do, you do this practically? You know, maybe step by step a little bit, but... Sure, sure. Um, well, I just came off of my one week long apprenticeship retreat and we had a lot of writing lessons. So um, I'll give you an example of, of a big idea with a writing lesson. And um, so <clears throat> the big idea is that if my persuasive essay has an opening that will invite the reader in, that will provide a nice beginning to the essay, um, that's one way of loving our readers is to, to invite them into our, into our work. Okay, so that's my big idea. Um, that big idea happens to have a name, which I might tell the student at the beginning of the lesson, or I might not tell them until the very end, but it's called an exordium. So I might prepare them to receive this idea by first um, reviewing where we are in the writing process, um, what, what our lesson is this week, and <clears throat> which happens to be arranging our thoughts into an outline. And then I might play a little bit by talking again we're still in the preparation stage and I might talk to my students about what their front door looks like now I realize this is probably with eighth or ninth graders and I'm going to ask them what what would I see if I walked up to your house to your front door and it's really funny because all of the boys say um a doorknob <laughs> and, and the girls will say oh there's a plant and there's a wreath and we have a welcome mat and it's yellow and our front door has a, a tulip and a pot you know I get the big description and so then we talk about what's the purpose of decorating our front door what's the purpose of putting a plant or a welcome mat well it makes our guests feel warm and welcome and invited so I say right well we're going to do the same thing with our writing would you like to know a way to make your writing feel warm and welcoming and inviting Okay, so now we've got a purpose for our lesson, and then I might share with them two or three examples of essays, and we would talk about what's going on in that first opening paragraph. What did you see in this opening paragraph? Well, I noticed it starts with a question. What did you see in this next opening paragraph? Well, I noticed that it started with a quote. What did you see in this opening paragraph? Well, it started with a challenge. It asked me to think about something. Okay, now let's stop and think and contemplate and pay attention to those three examples. Um, and we spend time here. We spend time comparing them. I ask a lot of questions. There's sometimes some silence while students are thinking, and that's okay. Silence is not something to be afraid of. Um, and so we wait, and they, they're starting to make some connections, and some light bulbs are starting to go on. And, and then they're starting to understand, oh, the difference between an essay that just jumps right into a thesis statement versus an essay that begins with an inviting question or a quote to make you think, it makes me want to keep reading and I want to find out what the author has to say. Okay, so we've compared it. And so then I might ask them to put the idea in their own words. And I would ask each student to tell me what they see as the big idea. What did we just do? Um, and so the general consensus is going to be something along the lines of, we can add an introduction to make our reader want to keep reading. And that thing is called an exordium. So then I might give them a chance to practice that. So they would have an application or, an, you know, now that they've expressed the idea, now we're going to practice it and apply it. And so we might write some practice openings. Um, 
once I've seen that they know how to do that, then I set them on their way. And I say, you're going to do a great job with your homework. Um, this is what your assignment is from, you know, three days from now when we meet again, I want to see you add this to your outline. And that's it. Now, that's a classroom kind of a situation, but you can do the same thing at home if you're working one on one with a student um, with your child or maybe a brother and a sister and you're teaching them this thing. You can do the exact same thing that I just did with a classroom around your dining room table. Um, the stages are still the same. The, the steps that we go through are still the same. You just have fewer students, so it might not take as long. So you mentioned in there um, comparing the material that you've presented to them. And then earlier you mentioned the word types. And can you maybe explain like, what do you mean by types? Like what is a type in a lesson like this? Um, what are you doing with it? And why is comparison so important? I, do, I, I think this is something that we often lose in teaching um, that we're often just presenting the material of the day. This is what I have to tell you today. This is the specific lesson. So like, what is a type and right. why is comparison so important? So um, at the Cersei conference a couple of weeks ago, James Daniels in his talk said, um, a, a good teacher needs two things, good models and good questions. And so the, the models or the types are what we use as an example of that logos that I mentioned earlier. Whatever the big idea is of that lesson, I need some representations of that, something that embodies that logos that I can share with the students. And then that way, we've, we don't want to, as you said, fall into the trap of, I'm going to sit up here, blah, 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 you know, like Charlie Brown, Mrs. Offmark, talk, 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 talk. The student sits there, nods their head. I assume they've got it. I send them on their way to do their homework. They come back the next day and the homework's all wrong. Well, it's not the student's fault. It's most likely my fault because I didn't teach it right or I didn't teach it properly or we didn't, we didn't confirm any kind of mastery or understanding before I sent them on their way. So first of all, types, let's slow down and let the student see real life examples. And then the comparison stage, again, we slow down, we reflect and we think about it because I want them to start making those connections of, you know, oh, every time I add a two digit number, I start on this side first and maybe we're adding two digits that don't require carrying. So I, I add this column first, I write down the number, I add this column next, I write down the number, and there's my answer. Okay, I'm gonna do it again with another one. Yeah, and they see over and over, it's the same every time. So what is the same about all these? Well, we always started on this side. Good, what else is the same? Um, we wrote down the answer underneath that column. What else is the same? They were all single digit answers. Okay, good. What else? Every time you ask them to compare or to analyze or, you know, look at it carefully, attend to it, look at the steps, they are, they're thinking. And that's where the light bulbs, that's where the connections are being made. And that's really what learning is, isn't it? It's just making connections in a way that, that creates harmony. It's making connections in a way that helps us overcome confusion. Um, it's making connections in a way that helps us see something in a new way. But that's not going to happen if we just dump information at our kids and ask them to go do a workbook page, right? We're depriving them of that joy of making those connections, and we're depriving them of the joy of seeing those light bulbs go on. So, mimetic teaching, um, again, it, it lets us teach 
by focusing on one logos at a time and it lets the student learn by making the connections that allow them to then you know bring that into their own mind and understanding and charlotte mason calls education the science of connection that's it's like one of her definitions of what education is. And it, it is fascinating to see as kids grow, it is the growth really is just connecting one thing to the next thing to the next thing until you can, it, it would, wouldn't it be so cool if you could just like trace that line in their education of what things touched each other, the threads that were formed there. Um, but those particular questions, how is this the same as that? Or how is it different? They're just such simple questions that, that can actually be applied to anything. That one of the beautiful things about homeschooling is that you are with your children all the time. And so you are actually able to practice teaching mimetically all the time, whether you're you know, cooking dinner together or in the car, you can always, you, this is your teacher training for yourself, is that you are asking those questions, well, how is this the same as this? How is it different from this? Um, are there any other questions that you can, either of you can think of off the top of your head that help create that comparison conversation besides how is it the same? How is it different? There might not be, those might just be the main ones, but I just thought I'd throw it out there. Um, yeah, I'll throw out a couple, and I'm sure Karen's got a lot more from her classroom experience, too. Um, what did we do the first time? Or what did we do each time that was the same? You can always ask that. Um, how does this, what does this remind you of? You know, that's making connections to things outside, perhaps, the lesson, but things that it might remind them of. <clears throat> when we read the story of um, Little Red Riding Hood and... What does that remind you of? Oh, well, it reminds me of Goldilocks because she got into trouble too when she went into a cottage. So there's that question. Um, I don't know, Karen, can you think of some others? I can't really think of anything other than, than what you said. But um, as, we've been, as we've been talking about those, you know, I'm reminded of teaching um, multiplication and how we can teach it just, you know, you know, we, they all need to know their times tables. They need to know that three times four is 12. But when they can compare adding to multiplying and when they really understand that three times four is three, four times three plus that, it's like us to me, it's almost like a spiraling down of understanding that when they start to compare things and they ask, how is this the same? How is this different? Um, all of those questions, it, it's, it's solidifying the knowledge it tests it, it really tests the knowledge too because if they if they can't compare then they probably don't have enough depth or breadth of knowledge and so you know that's an indicator that maybe you know they need more um, but when they can compare that light bulb goes off then like you said well, and before, that's where the that. expression part is so important in that you need to know whether or not they got it because you can't move on if they didn't. And so I, I'm, I'm actually right in the middle of uh, teacher training, all these new teachers coming on at our, our hybrid school. And that's one of the things I will walk through this mimetic lesson plan and at the expression part, like if you ask a student, I mean, you're not going to ask them outright exactly like what was the goal of, what was the big idea of this class? But in however you're going to question them, and you ask several students and your own children, whatever, and they don't know. You're like, okay, let's circle back around. 
And um, like, where did we, where did we lose each other here? And that, that is what I love about the process of this is that there is, as you said earlier here, and there is such rest in it because you can come to that place and say, okay, well, let's just slow down a little bit. Let's just back up to the meaning of three times four. And when they're like, well, I don't understand what three times four is. Okay, well, let's go back to addition and explain that. Um, so an, another question I had on this of, and, and Renee, you touched on this briefly of how can I, how do you teach my medically at home with your own kids? Um, what does this look like? Maybe compare, compare here for us. Um, what does this look like formally if you want to prepare a formal lesson, a formal mimetic lesson, what does that look like versus informally just, well, I just threw some things out there to compare. Um, and do you have any more resources for if someone wants to learn more in depth, like the actual steps in those fleshed out and what that might look like? Yeah. Um, so like I said earlier, the, the nice thing about doing this with your own child, if it's a one-on-one -on -one lesson <clears throat> is that it can go faster. Um, sometimes students can feel a little bit of pressure. It's like, I'm the only one here and you're asking me all the questions, you know, and nobody, you know, there's no other classmate to rely on. There's no one else to help share in this discussion. So sometimes I encourage moms to maybe do a little more back and forth with, with your child. Um, if, if they don't have a comparison right away, show them what that looks like. Well, when I compare them, I see this. Now, what do you see? It's your turn. So maybe you do a little back and forth with the comparison and attending stage. Um, or, you know, you can just, stay quiet and um, encourage them to think about it and, and not rush them. And again, that's another advantage of homeschooling. You don't have someone breathing down your neck with a clock. So you, you can, this can take time and that's okay. Um, the other thing to encourage teachers, whether you're in the classroom or home is maybe the mimetic lesson is going to take place over the course of a week. Maybe it's not going to be something that's in a 45 minute. For example, um, let's say you're wanting to explore the concept of justice. And what is that? And what does that look like as an idea? So you're going to read one fairy tale on Monday and discuss it. And then you're going to read another short story on Tuesday and discuss that. And then maybe you have a Bible lesson on Wednesday and you discuss that. And it's not until Thursday that you start drawing some connections and saying, okay, let's look at all three of these stories and let's start comparing them and notice what we, what is the same? Um, what did we notice in each one? How was this one like that one? What are they all, what is it that all these stories have in them or whatever? So you're leading the student with your good questions through that discussion. Um, and maybe it's not until Friday that you ask them to, to clearly express, okay, this is the concept that we've been talking about, and this is how we can maybe define it and put it in our own words. Um, so they can define it. Now, does that make your child a just person? You know, not necessarily. We all want our children to be virtuous, but you know, it doesn't happen overnight. But now they have a beginning understanding and a thorough background of what justice is. How do I want them to express that idea? Well, um, you know, it's it's not something you can ask them to, you know, show me justice right here. Well, maybe they can write a story about it. Maybe they could act out a play. Maybe they could um, write a short paragraph and put it in their own words. 
um, you know, it's just an expression of the idea, but until God builds that into them and they've practiced the habit of acting justly enough times to where it is really ingrained in their soul, um, it's not something you can put a grade on, but they have now become exposed to that idea. They've talked about it. They can express it. And so as far as using the mimetic sequence to encourage and incarnate an idea, they've had a great experience with that. And again, it's a very fun way to teach because you're not depending on a teacher's manual or someone else's set of questions. And it's something that can be done across the disciplines and regardless of ages or grades. So if you're teaching science and you're teaching the water cycle, you can start off by talking. I mean, your comparison can be about the the different types of cycles um, that you that you see in nature. And so you can have this comparison of types there. And then what they're, they're, um, they might tell back what the water cycle is and then their expression may be drawing a diagram of the water cycle. So that could be something that's on, you know, like a fourth grade, fifth grade level. Um, so regardless of how, even the little bitties, you, it just applies to all ages and all grades because you can cater it to their development level. Um, and as you said, Renee, one of the things I do love about it is that you don't have to have a, uh, you're not relying on like a scripted teacher's manual and it still applies to any lesson. Um, so any, any last thoughts on advantages of mimetic teaching and also if someone wants to learn more about this um, particular way of teaching where they might find out more? Um, I think that, well, I know that if you, if you Google mimetic teaching, it will bring you to some articles on the Cersei website um, that are there that describe the stages in a mimetic lesson. Um, and I, I, to me, one of the great benefits of teaching this way is that it requires of the teacher to really have a handle on the material the teacher has owned the material and able and in, in order has to own the material in in order to come up with the one central idea and um that's good you know you can't if education is a way of love you can't impart something to your student or your child that you don't already have a grasp of and so it requires that of the teacher and it requires the teacher to slow down which um if all there is doing haste when it comes to teaching child anything. Well, thank you for, for just reminding us that education is a way of love. That was a beautiful um, summary of the work that we are doing with our children. So we are going to sign off. Thank you ladies for your, just your, your thoughts on how to um, really encourage our children to grow in wisdom and virtue and a practical way of teaching them in that. So, Thank you for your time. All right, here's to home. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.